thanks for listening to Anti-Monitor. With about a month left to go in 2015, we've decided to tackle the classic New year theme thriller, End of Days, a movie that proves that Arnie can blow up just about anything, even the Prince of Darkness. But first, we have to throw some more shade towards DC and its pending snuff film, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Grumps. Grab the Pepto-Bismol, make yourself a breakfast shake, and enjoy our bones. Listening to Anti Monitor from DoomRocket.com. I knew it. I'm surrounded by assholes. I'm not even going to dignify myself with a response to that. Welcome back to Anti Monitor, the show where we try to make sense of the senseless in cinema. My name's Matt Birdman Fleming. With me, as always, Jared Jones, editor in chief of DoomRocket.com and noted sweater wearer. Yeah, I'm wearing an awesome sweater. You're wearing right an awesome Star Wars sweater right now. You got a few good sweaters. I like your Star Lab sweater. Yeah. Um, these are home sweaters. I these are. Them. I know you don't wear them. I'm out. Gonna you're wear gonna them wear out. that. You're gonna wear that out to uh, the Star Wars premiere. I actually, I am thinking about it. I Might don't know well. if I want to, because then I have to wear it all night. You know, maybe we don't go home right after the movie, and then I'm out in public. Yeah, but I mean, you're you will have just watched the first new Star Wars movie in over ten years. That's. Is you're already everybody knows that you're no there hasn't been a Star Wars movie since I was born <laughs> that's true those were uh, all figments of our collective imagination well so uh, speaking of uh, Star Wars uh, we were talking uh, off mic a couple days ago about the uh, effectiveness of the Star Wars The Force Awakens advertising campaign oh yeah and how it's just getting everyone pumped yeah it's 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 Everywhere. It's pervasive. You can't avoid it. Kay's Jewelry is doing Star Wars charm bracelets. That's amazing. That made MJ like choke on her own bile for a minute. Man, I wish I had recorded that little rant. But yeah, it's everywhere. And I mean, just new trailers all the time. New TV spots. Mm -hmm. and, they, and you get new, actual new content. <laughs> that, well, I mean, the Finn one, yeah, that had some pretty good new stuff. But it's incremental. Yeah, piece by piece. We're getting it piecemeal, like hamsters to the water tube. Um, but what that really brings up for me is uh, thinking about the other uh, highly anticipated piece of nerd film mm. in the next few months. What's that? Uh, Batman v Superman. Oh. Dawn of insert joke here. Yeah, that's pretty much how we've been doing it. That's it. The last year, yeah. Uh, and we're... Recording this just shy, just a few uh, hours shy of the newest uh, quote-unquote trailer. That's right. Well, uh, we should say, yeah, uh, we, as at the time of this recording, we don't know what that new trailer portends. They're going to run it on Jimmy Kimmel tonight. Uh, you will be able to see it on Doom Rocket shortly thereafter, not like you know, but... But absolutely. So the my, my complaint is that the, there's a certain amount of emptiness mm -hmm. is lack of actual information all that we know from the uh, year of promotional materials from this movie is it's got Batman in it yep 
And he's Ben Affleck. That's that's right. And it's got Superman in it. Kind of. And he is, uh, you know, he's got a statue now. And uh, Lex Luthor looks like a dweeb, and uh, mm-hmm. Michael Shannon looks like a corpse. Well, okay, so uh, if you've been listening to Anti-Monitor uh, for the last, I don't know, almost ten episodes now, how many have we done? This is the ninth episode. Ninth episode. Uh, you know that we have at one point or another <laughs> ended up discussing Zack Snyder's Batman v Superman, Dawn, tough on grease, soft on hands, <laughs> and... Um, I think it's finally time because uh, that uh, little sneak peek in, on Gotham the other night came out. We got to watch an actual snippet of a scene of this film that now there's really, there's a lot of places for it left to hide, but now we have a better feeling that this is just incoherent garbage. Uh, um, people call me out all the time and they say, you know, you haven't seen the movie yet. What if it turns out to be great? And I say, that's great. That would be fantastic. That would be a dream come true. Life abated. And then all my life's work up to this point would have been for nothing. And I will be totally fine with that. Meanwhile, what you saw this uh, clip, didn't you? Yeah, oh, yeah. You yeah. saw it. Okay, so what do we have here? Um, so the, the little weird imageries that were uh, depicted in the first trailer where we see Batman in like a shimmock and like a goggles on his you know, cowl like he forgot to put lenses in his mask or something yeah. well he did he did he forgot to put yeah. when he was designing his uh, cowl yeah he's like oh shoot i forgot to i guess i'll just get some bat goggles because he likes to paint the black around his eyes right a little goth kid <laughs> but um so he's being detained inside a bunker in the desert that oh. superman's army private army yep we know this because they have the the the, the brand of hope on their arms i don't know if this is a statement being made by Zack snyder if he's actually that intelligent they can convey something of uh, like a muted commentary on the state of American uh, life these days, but I, I sincerely doubt it. No, I think what's more likely is uh, in in a very like kind of McConaughey esque way, like when they're working on ideas for this movie, Zack Snyder's sitting back, feet up on a desk, mm-hmm. cowboy boots all dirty from kicking shit and stepping on. And you know, all the Doritos on the floor. And also probably, like, mice. Uh, and just laying back <laughs> and throwing a ball up in the air, chomping on some grass or something, and just goes, huh, you know what would be cool? What if Superman had his own army? Yeah, because of all the beings on, uh, you know, in popular fiction, uh, real or otherwise, the, uh, the one being that absolutely needs a bunch of jackbooted thugs backing his ass up is Superman. Yeah. Now, obviously... Based on the eternal grimace of Henry Cavill's face in this in this clip, you can uh, you can honestly say that this is not Superman in control of himself, or he has been compromised to the point where uh, he is forced to do things he normally wouldn't. We've seen it a dozen times before in a, a myriad of Superman stories. Um, there was the Brave New World, or no, Brave New Metropolis episode in Superman the Animated Series where Lois Lane had died. And an alternate universe sprung out of this where Superman and Lex Luthor uh, united as one you know, core group and they just brought order to Metropolis hmm. by way of totalitarianism. Uh, okay. they, don't, they don't talk about how that affects the world around them or anything like that, but it's a cartoon. You forgive it. Um, the, of course, there's the game Injustice where it has the same conceit where the Joker kills a whole bunch of people uh, in Metropolis, sets off a bomb. And Superman uh, puts his whole, his fist through the Joker's chest, 
and then from that point on, deems society unfit to govern itself, uh, makes the Justice League uh, lords, and they take over the world. Hmm. These are stories that have all been ton done, and they all have one inherent thing in common. They're terrible. <laughs> They're terrible stories. They don't capture the, uh, the core concepts of what it means to be a hero in the DC Universe. It doesn't do anything to deconstruct them. It doesn't do anything to make them feel... Uh, make us feel like uh, we're actually learning something new about these characters. All we're learning about is worst case scenarios and how often people just like to mire in it. Mm. God forbid we inject any semblance of hope or, or catharsis uh, for the readers and the viewers who absolutely adore these characters, especially in a time when America is falling apart all around us. You know, there are things happening in this world right now that aren't making people the happiest they can be. And if we're going to go find it anywhere, I would argue that it would be in a damn Superman movie. But maybe think. that's just me. Yeah, for a guy who's got a, a thing that looks like an S but supposed, is supposed to mean hope, mm -hmm. yeah, it does seems it mean, pretty hopeless. But does it mean hope? Nope. 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 If you believe it, then you're a dope. Yeah. So, um, so to discuss the marketing campaign of Man, uh, Man of Steel 2. Man of Steel 2. <laughs> the two-winning. The two-winning. Uh, Batman v Superman hasn't offered us anything. We got that Entertainment Weekly cover uh, mm -hmm. with another look at Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman, who uh, isn't, uh, I guess Zack Snyder didn't have an Instagram filter to send Entertainment <laughs> Weekly that week, so she doesn't look bronze. She actually looks like she's got some color to her outfit. Um, some maybe pieces of information derived from the action figures that have been coming out at a slow trickle, and that's it. That's all we have. Uh, Concerning this film, as far as like trailers are concerned, we're about to walk into the second uh, off the back of this really perplexing video. Um, I, I I don't know what else I there is to say about this movie that I don't think we've said a dozen times before. Um, I, it just kind of baffles me as someone who's not as well versed in the lore of Cal El, like this super powered being from another planet can be so easily manipulated yeah. that he is going to go give smarmy looks to Bruce Wayne in his mm. desert basement. Okay, so um, I'll give you a little uh, a little insight because I'm the Superman guy. Yeah, let's take a primer. I like to, I like to think of myself as a fan. Um, you, you know that I've dabbled in, in the world of Superman from time to time. I would say it's an understatement. Yeah. Um, the stories that have been told about Superman in the last 20-some-odd years have been through the lens of a Generation X, where uh, they looked upon this uh, you know, pinnacle of human achievement uh, as, you know, as a uh, pale version of himself. Mr. Wayne, Clark Kent, Daily Planet. What's your position on the Bat Vigilante in Gotham? Civil liberties are being trampled on in your city. People living in fear. He thinks he's above the law. The Daily Planet criticizing those who think they're above the law is a little hypocritical. What'd you say? Considering every time your hero saves a cat out of a tree, you read a puff piece editorial about an alien. You could burn the whole place down. Most of the world doesn't share your opinion, Mr. Wayne. Maybe it's Gotham City and me. Have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. So they prey upon his uh, purported naivete when they kind of forget a couple of crucial truths about Superman. 
Um, he's not a character that's easily manipulated. Yes, he wears his heart on his sleeve. That's what makes him Superman. But he is not going to allow himself to be manipulated because he's not a fool. He's a Pulitzer Prize winning reporter who didn't get there because he put on a pair of glasses at the end of a damn movie. He's, you know, it's been uh, established through many iterations that Super uh, Clark Kent is a, a, an incredibly intelligent man. Um, in the 90s, he was a, no a novelist, uh, that uh, best-selling uh, uh, journalist that uh, wrote these uh, damning exposés all over the world. Everyone, uh, His name commanded respect. The name Kenton Lane meant something in the world of journalism. So uh, I think when people started to lose the grasp of Superman is when they, uh, they lost the grasp of Clark Kent. They, they keep thinking that they're two completely separate entities, that Clark Kent is like this extension of Superman that like pretends to be a person, when in actuality, uh, you know whose fault that is? It's that damn Kill Bill monologue. Remember the one? A staple of the superhero mythology is there's the superhero and there's the alter ego. Batman is actually Bruce Wayne. Spider-Man is actually Peter Parker. When that character wakes up in the morning, he's Peter Parker. He has to put on a costume to become Spider-Man. And it is in that characteristic Superman stands alone. Superman didn't become Superman. Superman was born Superman. When Superman wakes up in the morning, he's Superman. His alter ego is Clark Kent. His outfit with the big red S. That's the blanket he was wrapped in as a baby when the Kents found him. Those are his clothes. What Kent wears, the glasses, the business suit, that's the costume. When that movie came out, I was pumped. I was like, somebody's talking about Superman with a semblance of uh, maturity in it. But like his his take on it, which is Quentin Tarantino's take on it, is, is an entirely false one. You know, Superman isn't critiquing the human race by being a bumbling fool. Um, he's, uh, he's just being himself, uh, as he really he was raised to be. And when he, you know, removes the vestiges of his humanity and becomes the Kryptonian from the skies, you know, he's still the same guy with the same heart propelling him. You know, he throws himself up in the sky. He's there to save us no matter what. And a guy like like Luthor is always beside himself. He's like, I've thrown this guy money. I've tossed him a yacht. Everything I've got in my vast you know fortune, I'm gonna give to this guy on a platter. And he tells me no every single time. I've tried to manipulate him uh, through the media. I've tried to manipulate him through you know uh, uh, deliberate terrorism. You know, I've I've tried to manipulate him by uh, holding ransom the things that he holds most dear, and yet he perseveres every single time. What? It, why is he so great? Altruism. Altruism, that's precisely right. But I don't know why no one wants to tell that story. No one finds that story interesting. It's not gritty enough. Well, now... Don't we have enough darkness and grit mm -hmm. when we walk outside, mm -hmm. when, we, when we log in and look at... You know, when you can't something even dodge that's it, news. Yeah, when you can't even dodge it on, uh, uh, you know, uh, a, a gossamer rag like USA Today, you know things are in a bad shape. Um, Grim and Gritty may have worked at a time when we were kind of feeling pretty optimistic about things. Uh, you know, that's kind of how, you know, entertainment works is that it, it poses a reflection of, like, what we have through a mirror of uh, our own expectations, you know. 
when uh, uh, when we had the bright and brimming optimism of the 50s, uh, we, we were walking right into like, you know, film noirs uh, from across the pond in Europe, coming back with these like really dark and lurid tales that were, you know, beguiling to us that then informed, you know, filmmakers like Spielberg and, and Coppola. And then we had the Hollywood New Age of the 70s and it goes on and on and on. With superheroes, they're steadfast. They remain the same. The reason people love Batman so damn much is because plus or minus a couple of decades of weirdness and camp, he's remained exactly the same. The, the approaches are sometimes different. The stories are sometimes much more darker than we want them to be, but it's still a Batman story. With Superman, people have tried to make him so many things he's not. And that's where we come back right around to where we are. Is Zack Snyder trying to make Superman this idealized version uh, through his own aesthetic. <clears throat> There's potential inside of this for Superman that um, can do both things, you know, that literally can live in two worlds. And that means the mythological and then sort of real, our world, and kind of bridge that gap that he's never really bridged before, I don't think, you know. In the past, he's either been pure fantasy or he's been an icon of cinema, but not necessarily rendered in a way that you would say, like, oh, that just happened. Um, and I just felt like, you know, this is a cool opportunity to, to do both, you know, and I think that the most powerful movies are the ones where you um, believe that I'm watching this fantastic things happen, whether it be like a guy fly or, you know, whatever it is, but also at the same time, you're also saying in that same moment, I'm seeing myself you know i'm seeing my world represented. yeah he's like checking himself out in the mirror it's like i mean i think i'm pretty super yeah i mean look at me i got these <laughs> muscles i got this bitch in tan i got this cool suv out here like superman and me we're like basically the same dude we're, you know? we're bros you know huh? we're totes bros i mean i feel like if superman was a real bro he would mm-hmm. totally spot me at the gym and but- share his family-sized bag of Doritos Jack. He's such a fucking Nimrod. Like, you, when you watch his movies, you, you get a real... Like, if we were to consider Snyder a filmmaker enough to watch his overall and be like, this is uh, a, a Snyderism. Well, a Snyderism is slow-motion boobs jiggling to the um, pelvic thrust of some, you know, either coke-addled or adrenaline-addled maniac, like uh, in Dawn of the Dead remake or in 300, or even God Help Us Watchmen. Um... A guy like Zack Snyder, who, you know, pumps iron and gives himself jacked up just to go stand in front behind a camera monitor and yell action. I mean, there's a disconnect there. The guy doesn't want to be making movies that have, uh, you know, themes of uh, humanity and patience and and hope. He wants to make, you know, he's he's the artsy-fartsy Michael Bay. He's Michael Bay with way too much pretense. he's He's a nerdy Michael Bay. He, instead of, instead of, like, I want, instead of wanting uh, robots and Will Smith to blow things up, mm-hmm. he wants superheroes to blow things up. I'm sure that he should, like, just hates himself right now because he's stuck on superheroes, at least until the end of Justice League. Um, which, I don't know if I can make 10 years of this, Birdie. To the year 2020? I don't know. Can I do it? I don't think so. Oh man, I don't know. It depends. It depends on what you have for breakfast. You know, they say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Well, if breakfast is dawn of justice, uh, the dawn of my incredulity, maybe. Um, if this movie tanks, and it's really bad, 
it's because it was meant to tank. It was never meant to happen. People will look back on it as a curiosity and examine it and um, ask themselves what went wrong, how could we have made it better, uh, what things could have been different. And Warner Brothers will have yet again screwed the pooch, which will leave them in this really weird place because they've planned all these movies for the next decade or so. Which means, you know, Disney can come along and go, hey, you know, can't help but notice you guys don't know what the hell you're doing. How's about uh, we give you a billion dollars to give those things over to us, huh? <laughs> billion dollars, huh? What do you say? Yeah? Yeah? All right, great. And, and you know what would be great is that the check that they would write to uh, Warner Brothers, it would be an actual graphic, like, Avengers team-up mm-hmm. check. Yeah. So that they had to look at that and go, <laughs> like, yeah, literally the Avengers is paid mm-hmm. for this right yeah. now. Iron Tony Stark paid for this movie. Yep. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and uh, I just finally got around to watching Age of Ultron, and that's just, that seems to be this archetype that nobody needs, is, like, uh, snarky ruler thinks that they can run things better, and, and then, It doesn't work out for them. It and doesn't. The good guys gotta punch them. Yeah, except the good guys, uh, you know, typically have more in their, in their wheelhouse than I gotta punch my problems yeah. away, you know. Problem is, is that Zack Snyder doesn't seem to think so, and he's in charge of Superman. That's all right. Uh, so, speaking of punching problems away, sure. Uh, I brought up Breakfast a few minutes ago. You uh, did, because we watched a movie with a very iconic Breakfast, the um, mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger's Jericho Kane. The, by the way, I'm saying the word Jericho, and the last name Kane. I'm not saying. Even though it might sound like I'm saying Jerry Cocaine. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if there was some cocaine involved in the... uh, Making of which film are we watching this week, Bertie? That would be 1999's classic end-of-the-world thriller, End of Days. December 31st, 1999. The end of a century. The end of a millennium. The beginning of the end. Oh, yeah. You got plans for New Year's Eve, Brady? Uh, I'm going to be working. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm going to be working. And uh, and then, you know, turning a, a birthday at midnight. Oh, that's right. Yeah, your birthday's yeah. coming up. And so I'll be working. Directed by Peter Hyams. Hyams? Hyams. Hyams? I don't know. Um, let me just give you a real quick uh, look at this director's filmography. Oh, we this got... is starting to look familiar. Oh, no. Oh, no. All right, folks. Well, uh, the folks at home who aren't reading this and or don't have Google in front of them, this fella, Hyams, uh, who has directed the film we are watching today, prior to uh, End of Days, gave us such uh, instant classics as The Presidio. Uh, <laughs> stay tuned. But my personal favorite, Time Cop. Time Cop. Which, you know, Time Cop is ridiculous and stupid, but... Um, well, then again, so is End of Days. Yeah, exactly. So tell us about that breakfast. Uh, to establish the mental state of Jericho Kane, mm-hmm. private, uh, private security detective, uh, he, he takes a blender and he fills it with uh, half a glass of leftover beer. Coffee. Uh, coffee. Pepto-Bismol. Uh, Pepto. A slice of pizza. Uh, two slices of pizza. Oh, actually. one came from the floor. Yeah, one came off the floor, and then 
just for a little, mwah, little, mwah. little, 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 little mani taste. Just a little mamma mia. He puts his uh, last night's, uh, Chinese, presumably last night's Chinese it's, food. Yeah, it's definitely not last night's. I'm guessing it was like from a month ago. Say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. He's, uh, Jericho Kane is suffering from the type of depression that leaves you with just open containers of food everywhere. Uh, it's He's a man who doesn't need to buy um, mouthwash because he's just got open bottles of vodka that he's yeah. going to gargle with. Yeah, he does do that. Um, well, before we get too uh, deep into the uh, the psychosis of Jericho Kane, though, we are going to immediately return to it. We should probably inform the people at home that uh, uh, it's a very good reason that Jericho Kane survives because he learns his true purpose in life, and that is to confound Beelzebub. That's right. Satan himself in all his lurid glory. But to return right back to what you're talking about, our Jericho Kane, our hero, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's right. This it, is... Uh, and this is just before he trails off from films for a little bit to go run, run the state of California. Yeah, um, He is in a state of such mental disrepair that actually I was thinking to myself, I'm like, what if the movie had actually ended like at the moment it should have? The first time we see him, he is sitting on a couch. Shades are drawn. He's looking at his Glock. He doesn't have a revolver or a pistol. It is a Glock. That's a Glock 9mm. A chamber is filled with a bullet. There's no chance that he's spinning the wheel and rolling the dice. This man is putting the barrel to his head, and he's about to cack himself. The only thing that keeps him from killing himself is Kevin Pollock coming through the door, which I don't know about you, but that might make me uh, speed my haste. You know, it's kind of a surprise. But, you know, it's established that... Uh, the character Bobby Chicago mm -hmm. is best friends with uh, Jericho Cade. And so maybe it's just like, oh, my buddy is here. I'm not going to kill myself now because my good friend Bobby Chicago is here. <laughs> Bobby Chicago is played by Kevin Pollack. He's a stand-up comedian. He's got the very funny jokes. Mm -hmm. uh, well, okay, so then he walks in and the movie continues as it must. But for <laughs> oh, a God. second there... Oh, God, does what it if, continue? But what if it didn't? What if he just shot himself, the credits rolled, everyone who'd paid like, I don't know, five bucks, however much movies cost, 99, and like walked out and went, you know what? That was Arnie leaving on a high note. Very daring. Bravo for performance. I, I think that it would have it would have been uh, even better if, if the movie, End of Days, instead of being uh, a, you know rescue tale and a tale of sacrifice <laughs> and saving the world is Jericho Kane blows his brains out Bobby Chicago comes in has a good cry over it we cut over to Christine York played by Robin Tunney and mm -hmm. her um, overweight evil stepmother who was well okay but wait it's so easy to get ahead of is that, here. is that uh, Mabel the evil stepmother and Udo Kier come in they go like alright it's time to go Christine they take her Gabriel Byrne Bangs her. She has the devil baby. And then we actually see what a real apocalypse looks like. Yeah. That's what would have happened if... Robin Tunney and Gabriel Byrne actually had a kid. Yeah. And well, that would, <laughs> yeah, that would that, be hell on earth. It would be. Um, but uh, to, to pull it back, uh, there are action movies. And then there are Arnold Schwarzenegger action movies. And then there's a subsect of that even. Mm -hmm. I've always been a, 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 a believer that there were two phases of pre-Governator Arnold Schwarzenegger movies. Mm -hmm. There was uh, the no-shirt part of his career where he was just like covered in oil and uh, guns and smut and just shooting 
Oh, things absolutely. All over the place. And then there your was commandos, the, your... And then there was there was no shirt, and then there was sweatshirt. Mm-hmm. Where he's just wearing sweatshirts in every movie. Eraser. Jingle all the way. Uh, the sixth day. The sixth day. End of days. This is all kind of... The transitionary period is like uh, post Ter- Terminator 2, Judgment Day, into Last Action Hero. Mm-hmm. Last Action Hero is where he's like, Oh, yes, maybe I'll wear a shirt for this movie. You like my jacket? You like my sweater? You know, his jackets are pretty iconic in and of himself. Like, Last Action Hero, that was a pretty... I mean, if you saw him walking around in that jacket, you go, Oh, that's from Last Action Hero. I would I would say to be or not to be. Yeah. Not to be. He's got that duster in Terminator. And, of course, the leather jacket in Terminator. Yeah, I his mean, clothes in this, uh, in End of Days, are pretty... It's like weird, phony Matrix kind of it's stuff. It's really... It's... it's Matrix Dad. It's Matrix He's got a, Dad, yeah. a Matrix overcoat. And but it's like one a, that you buy at Target. Yeah, absolutely. It's got the buttons Jericho that are Kane like sewed in. Jericho Kane doesn't have money to go buy a nice duster. But he, and then he's just got this drab sweater. Mm-hmm. It's not a sweatshirt. It's a, it's a it's knit a sweater. sweater. Isn't it a sweater? He looks cozy in it. He looks cozy. He does because it's, it's cold outside. Except you know what's funny is that this whole movie takes place in New York like on the week of like New Year's week right after Christmas just before New Year's Eve. Yep. There's not one snow drift. There's no snow. Anywhere. There's no snow in this movie whatsoever. Not a single snow. Not a single snow. Not one snow. No one even looks uncomfortable. I've been to... I've oh, been they... To, no, plenty of people look uncomfortable yeah. in this movie. That, I mean, that might not be because of the temperature. But, no. It's yeah. probably because they had to read the script. You got CCH Pounder, who's a, a lovely actress and like has done wonderful things in the past up to and including uh, being the Amanda Waller That's before right. Viola Davis comes and probably does a really good job with it. Uh, she was she was the original. Mm-hmm. Um, she was in one of my favorite all-time FX shows, S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. yeah. She's done a lot of great things. Kevin Pollack... I, uh, well, we can move on from that. Gabriel Byrne, Academy Award nominee. Gabriel Byrne. Well, and gyrating. Let's let's not let's not bury Kevin Pollock like that. This is the epic reunion. Everybody had been waiting four oh, years mm-hmm. to see Gabriel Byrne and Kevin Pollock in a movie again yep. since The Usual Suspects. The <sighs> only thing people clamored for more was the reunion of Benicio del Toro and Stephen Baldwin mm-hmm. in. A Burger King drive-through <laughs> at four in the afternoon. <laughs> four in the afternoon. Hey, Steve, what are you Biden. doing here? <laughs> I, I'm picking up food for my family. I suppose what are you doing here? I'm on my way to an uh, audition. Things are going great. How about you? Uh, I'll get. You know what? You're next. You're next in line. Don't want to hold up the line. Nice yep. to see you, Benicio. <laughs> That's how that went down. That's perfect. Yeah. Uh, but let's get back to it's, the film. We've got yeah. So End of Days has a a very Fun cast, Udo Kier looking scary. Uh, well, let's stop you right there. Why? Who made the rules that Udo Kier has to be the most sinister man in every movie? Uh, he's a he's a second. He's the second, but it's because he's got that brow. He's got that. He's got that weird, vaguely Transylvanian. Uh, I was going to say that Transylvanian. He yeah. looks a bit like a German vampire. He does. Well, he was the uh, head vampire in Blade. Uh, which is easily one of my all-time favorite you know, late '90s uh, horror action flicks. Um, he was in uh, whew, man. Why am I blanking on this? What was he or was he not in Dracula 2000? Oh, was he in Dracula 2000? I, think, I believe that he was. Let me contact so, the research department real quick. I don't know. 
But uh, every time I see this guy in a movie, I, I think to myself, unless it's a Lars von Trier movie, I'm like, you are probably doing something really weird to a baby in a scene very shortly. And that's precisely what he does in this movie. He's, he, he like, whose baby was that, by the way? They, they get a baby at the beginning of the movie that's supposed to be Robin Tunney later on in life. Mm-hmm. And they lay her on this weird altar underneath a church and like open the chest of a rattlesnake all over the... A rattlesnake? They don't have any cobras? And they, they're spraying blood all over this baby, and like he sticks his finger in the snake and rubs it on the kid, and I'm like, yeah, that's who's gross. Chi- whose child was that? Someone had to volunteer their real, baby. actual yeah, baby to do that. For the that. scene. And so, like, what, what was it? Did the parents get to meet Udo Kier? Did they sit down and have a conversation prior to the scene? How awkward was it? Actually, uh, or was it awkward at all? Did they get on really well? Are they still friends? Did he go to the baby's graduation? Here's my question. What? Imagine that you're that kid... Like, 14 comes around. Every Everyone has at least one embarrassing home movie. Like, oh, look at me being an idiot when I was a kid. Yeah. And then this this guy or girl, it's like, oh, let me see one of your like baby movies. All right, hold on. Let me turn on End of Days. Oh, my this God. Is, this is me being the center of a satanic ritual where fake snake blood gets in my mouth. Mm-hmm. That, that actually sounds kind of awesome. <sighs> well, he... But Udo Kier and everyone else, was he or was he not in Dracula? Dracula 3000. 3000, excuse me. I knew he was in a bad Dracula movie. I knew that had happened. It was a Dracula 3000, my God. (laughs) Well, anyway, uh, so he's a part of this mass Rosemary's Baby-esque conspiracy around Christine to make sure that she gets of certain age. So, you know. Yes. So Satan can inhabit the form of a man and then have his way with her and then give birth to the Antichrist. Now, this has strong echoes to another film that we put under our anti-monitor, uh, anti-monitor microscope. That's right. Uh, the Devil's Advocate. And I can't help but feel that had, uh, End of Days had like a Taylor Hackford who directed uh, uh, Devil's Advocate and like Tony Gilroy who did the script. This movie might have actually been kind of good. Like in a weird, lurid sort of way, but like... There might have been a, a couple more smacks of sophistication in it. Maybe Tom Cruise might not have walked away from this film. Well, you know, uh, the uh, two filmmakers that were originally approached for this movie, hmm. Sam Raimi, mm-hmm. Guillermo del Toro. Wow. And del Toro was no you know, spring chicken at that point. He had done Mimic. Yeah. So like, this is a guy who had made a movie, made a creepy movie. Instead, we got this dude. Because like, there are moments in... End of days where, like, if you squint hard enough, you can tell that this, if the screenplay had gone through, like, maybe two more passes through, like, more seasoned, you know, uh, screenwriters, that maybe this thing might have actually been all right. That maybe we wouldn't have been stuck with a weird late career Schwarzenegger, you know, dud. Because there are moments where, like, uh, Satan, played by Gabriel Byrne, is, like, pontificating in Arnold Schwarzenegger's, you know, sad apartment. And he's going on and on about the hypocrisy of God and all these other things. And it's like, you know, there are there are interesting truisms when you're criticizing religion. It, but you have to be very careful when you do so. And, and this script is not equipped to do it. So all it smacks of is like, it, it looked like it was written by that kid who got pushed into the bus earlier in the movie. Yeah. He was wearing that Satan Rules hoodie and the nice, Jinkos. Nice shirt. Yeah, yeah. That, this movie feels like it was written by him. And instead it should have been written by somebody far more able to tell a story like this. You know, and I think I think that it would have it could have used a nice good tightening. Mm-hmm. It could have trimmed 30 pages from this thing. Mm-hmm. Had someone ghost write some 
fix some of the dialogue. Um, but I tell you what, Gabriel Byrne acts the shit out of that role. I guess. Gabriel Byrne gives such a muted performance muted perform- as the devil. You know, this ain't he, Miller's I'm, Crossing we're talking about I, here. I'm not, I'm not calling him sleepy or <laughs> an underachiever in this film. I'm not saying that he is vastly inferior to the devil as played by Al Pacino. I'm not saying that. Sure. Then what are you saying? I'm just saying that he looked pretty sleepy yeah, through he, most of this, except for when he was spasming when the when the devil got up in his booty. The uh, the devil himself you never actually get to see until the very, very end of the film where Schwarzenegger heroically oh spoilers by the way, sacrifices himself to, you know, you know, cleanse the earth of the devil. Which why can he actually do that in real life? But um hmm. The devil itself is actually like this weird shimmering late 90s like CGI. It's, so it's like the wormhole thing from Donnie Darko or the uh, or the the grinning water creature thing in the abyss except nowhere near as good. Um, you can barely see it in the best circumstances. I actually saw in the days in the theater when it came out and I remember having a tough time seeing the the, the clear blob that was inhabiting Gabriel Byrne. Um, of course, he does some really wonderful physical comedy during that one sequence to That's show true. that he's being attacked by, you know, invisible devil. It's kind of like uh, back in the Ed Wood days when, like, you know, they would have a giant octopus dummy wrap. It's like they wrap it around like a like an extra interactor and yell action, and then it would just flail in the water like, no, giant octopus! Oh, oh. I'm not hitting myself. I'm not hitting myself. This is not how it's supposed ah, to go. Scary. Yeah. Octopus. That's ostensibly all that happens with Gabriel Byrne versus Invisible Devil. He's like, I was having dinner with these two people. We we're having a lovely evening, and now I'm in, uh, I'm possessed by the Prince of Darkness. Yeah, it's a, it's like, all right. So you get an idea of what like being possessed by a demon is like. So Peter Hyams says, "All right, Gabriel, act like you're being possessed by a devil," <laughs> and he just like, compulses around and rolls looks on the scared. floor. Nailed it! Yeah, well, if I was being possessed by a demon, I would probably be trying to get away from it, too, and not even be worried about crawling on a disgusting-ass bathroom floor. No, definitely not. Yeah. Uh, But he follows it up uh, in grand fashion by walking back into the restaurant and just pulling the lady's boob out. Yeah. that's, That's how he, like, reacquaints himself with humanity. That's, like, him, like, finding his, like, stride at once more. It's, like... Satan getting his groove back. Like yeah, the first thing he does is he walks out of the shit house, grabs that woman's breast, and then make, makes out with her former husband, who's like, "Why I oughta?" Uh, he's being cuckolded. He's being cuckolded, and then all of a sudden, for good measure, he explodes the entire restaurant. Oh yeah, just to do it, just because they uh, the the budget uh, for this film. I'm gonna save seventy five percent explosions. Seventy five percent. That's where most of the money went. Like a little, you know. Well, some of it went to Arnold Schwarzenegger. He wasn't free back then. No, that's true. I wouldn't. I mean, you know, Gabriel Byrne, same thing. He had to make some money. But it doesn't make any sense because, like, he blows up that whole restaurant. Mm-hmm. This is the first thing he does, and he does at the snap of fingers at a whim. He pisses fire. Yep. Or gasoline or whatever it was. Here's a guy who's just high octane evil inside of him. And yet he has the most, like, you know, almost uh, Benny Hill 
uh, style buffoonery when it comes to his approach to uh, uh, finding uh, Christine. His girl, his his betrothed. Yeah, his betrothed. His like, um, not girlfriend. When he's finally, when him, it's Burn versus Arnold Schwarzenegger, which is surreal on its own. But like Schwarzenegger goes into like a striker security, you know, armory and like straps up into commando gear. Because I think that's a stipulation actually in his films that every film has to have that scene where mm-hmm. he's putting like, you know, exploding shells on his chest. And like he goes after him and he's blowing things up. It doesn't occur to the devil that he could just make him explode from the inside out. He can bring people back from the dead. And yet he can't cause one person to die. He lifted a guy into the ceiling and gave him stigmata and carved all sorts of weird creepy lantern on He can't do that to Schwarzenegger? He can't take him on like that? No, he could. But he says, I don't want to kill you, but now I'm going to have to. Yeah, because he has a dark heart because his parents were killed by the mafia or something. His wife and daughter. Yeah, his wife and daughter, that's right. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. It's a little murky why he can't just kind of kill Jericho Kane when anyone else, literally anyone else, mm-hmm. train conductor, he comes from out of nowhere, punches the train conductor's heart out of his head. Out of his chest? The guy is screaming as if he doesn't have a hole in his chest. <laughs> like his gets, lungs are working just fine. Yeah, and he gets hit in the head with his own heart. The devil can do that, oh. but he can't even beat Jericho Kane in a fist fight. Nope. It just, it, it's bewildering because it's like, you know, and this is going back to Superman. This is why people have such a hard time writing for Superman, just like they have a hard time writing for Schwarzenegger. It's like, how strong? He's this strong in this scene, and then we have to tamp that down to make uh, the ending that much more exciting. And it's like, no, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that at all. Because he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. We've seen him do insane things our, our entire lives, you know. And a days doesn't have to be like this muted, weird, you know, religio horror movie. It, it, it can be a giant, you know, balls-to-the-wall action movie, which is pretty much what it becomes anyway towards the end. Mm-hmm. Let him have it. Go crazy. Don't hold back, because Schwarzenegger has been there and back, and he can do it with grace. And yet they make it out to seem like he's just this regular dude in a duster jacket getting his ass kicked by every Tom, Dick, and Harry who's got a, you know, uh, a Vatican badge on their chest. A sacred heart, yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, sense. you can tell. You can tell though. You can see that he's lost a step or two in this film. Mm-hmm. He's a little bit slower. He's a little bit, you know, doesn't have the re- the uh, reaction time mm-hmm. that he used to have. Uh, his eyeball game is on fleek. Oh, yeah. His bulging eyeball game is on fleek. Oof. His, uh, uh, and I mean, oh god, there's so much we, we have to narrow it down. But the moment that he is. Hanging from a helicopter. This is the beginning of the movie. This is the first five minutes of the movie. He's hanging from a helicopter chasing the uh, priest who's trying to kill the devil. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, in order to get this old guy to keep up with this other old guy, we gotta have him propelled by a helicopter. helicopter. And the dude obviously took a page from the Ridley Scott book of running in a straight line away from the thing that's going to get you if you keep running in a straight line. Yep. So he just keeps running in the like uh, towards the closest end of the of the building, which is actually to his immediate right, and he could just like hop over it and leap to his death or to his safety or whatever. But instead, he keeps running in that straight line, and here comes Arnold, dangled on a hook, coming straight for him. He's like, "Beewa!" I'm gonna get you with this helicopter. Yeah, you, you threw out a good couple of uh, 
do a couple of quips during that little sequence there. That was a lot of fun. It was, it was fun to watch and ridicule. It's not fun to watch and enjoy. And yet, when we uh, were Googling this thing earlier, like came across all these weird YouTube videos. Um, oh, yeah. All of the uh, actual religious uh, prophecy conspiracies about the end of days. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's a strange thing that actually people would consider the movie End of Days be almost prophetic in a way that uh you know the world's deteriorating around us which it is which it is and, and in the film it is too like you, uh, every time you hear a news report like it's like this faction's doing this to the world and uh, satanists are trying to make everyone's new year's eve kind of shitty so it's kind of like real life you know that was one of my one of my favorite characters in the movie was disembodied radio voices mm -hmm. the disembodied radio voice montage yeah. came up a couple times and it's just like trying to establish that hey just in case you didn't know it's the turn of the century in New York City and everybody is pissed off um, it's also really cool to it's watch the plot of Ghostbusters 2 yeah it's the it, this is uh, Ghostbusters 2 plus The Devil's Advocate plus plus not Rosemary's Baby but the very uh, slept on sequel the made for television sequel Look what happened to Rosemary's Baby. Oh, God, that does exist. That exists. Oh, ho, ho, ho. And that's... Deep cut. Yep, that's right. I'm reaching in. I'm reaching in the well for this one. <laughs> uh, and so you take all of those movies and you amalgamate them and you don't really cut any time because this was, this was two hours, over two hours and 15 minutes long. Yeah, it was a long fucking movie. And it's just like, it just keeps stopping and starting and stopping. And start. You kept pointing out places where it would have been great for it to have ended at that point. It's yeah. like there's, it's not going to be a happy ending. So why do we have to shove it as close to one as humanly possible? It's like when he's getting clubbed to death by all those. Who were those people, by the way? Satanists. Satanists. That's a gang of Satanists. Oh, because yeah, you see him later in the church. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, oh, Jesus Christ. So like he's getting pummeled to death. They crucify him and leave him to die. And then it, the screen fades to black for two beats, not one beat, mm -hmm. two beats. So it's like, you're like, is that it? Is that all there is to it? Did we lose? No, you see Rod Steiger in the very next scene, like crossing himself because he's a, a you know movie priest and gets oh, him down get somehow. Him down. Yeah, he can't he can't fight off one dude who's holding him against his will later in the film, but he somehow has the strength and wherewithal to get Schwarzenegger down from on high and Schwarzenegger. Even though he was like, you know, late career, he was still big. He, oh. You saw his arms at one point. That yeah. Nothing but gristle and meat. Uh, it's just like when Robin Tunney tries, like, pulls him up onto the moving train oh, car. Come it's on. like lists of That's... things that it's an inhuman feat. Yeah. That tiny girl who can't defend herself from anything, let alone the devil, mm -hmm. she cannot, certainly cannot pull this. 250 no. pound no, 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 no. Austrian juggernaut with bad Arnie, knees. Arnie S is easily clocking in at 285, maybe 300 pounds at all times. The guy is huge. Yep. And, he, and he's probably even more so now. It's just less, you know, steel and more, you know. Block. He's probably got like a little bit of that steroid belly yeah. that a lot of uh, professional wrestlers get and bodybuilders yeah. get. Yeah, he's getting that big head too. I'm getting it too. You notice that? Um, I, no, I didn't know. No, didn't that. no, I don't. No, what? I don't notice any. I'm not looking at. No. Oh, that's very. You know. Okay, I see what you're doing. Right. So now, uh, 
to wrap things up about End of Days, uh, this also came out at a time when religious and, and like end of the world kind of themed movies were popping off left and right. You mentioned Devil's Advocate already. Mm. We had uh, the Roman Polanski number, The Ninth Gate. And then there was Stigmata with Stigmata. Patricia Arquette. Who the hell else was in? Was Gabriel Byrne also in Stigmata? Ooh, was yes, he, he, was. Yes, he, was. he yes, was. Yes, he was. He was, he was the, priest. the priest. That's yep. right. God damn it. Uh, then there was the the other one, the the weird. It, it kind of came out around the same time, but there was that uh, that Kevin Bacon movie that was oh, the, real dark and gritty. Yeah, where they kept doing the cover to paint it black. Yeah, like I, I guess it was just like Millennium Fever coming to a like a like a fever pitch. Like, uh, there was actually several articles on this subject. Why is pop culture so obsessed with the end of the world? Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, it always has been. We have always told cautionary tales about humanity's demise. Um, it's just that, you know, once Y2K was rolling around and we were all freaking each other out that the world was about to end. The computers are going to kill us. Geez, computers can't kill us now. They can. But that's because we gave them the power to do it. They can like launch ICBMs wherever they want. Because we gave them sentience. Yeah, they gave them, gave them sentience. But like back in those days, you couldn't load an AOL disk if it was sent to you that day. It's like brand new update. You put it in, the whole thing pops. You gotta just fries, go. Like you just gotta go to the mall then. Yeah, you have to go to the mall. Oh man. You have to go to the mall and go get the stuff like you used to instead yeah. of putting malls out of business, yeah. America. Just gotta go buy CDs. That's right. Oh you, you, man. You took away the shopping. That's where it all went wrong. We stopped shopping in public, and now we make holidays to do so. And that's right, chaos. and and that's when we unleash all of this violence. Uh, that yeah. day, and uh, you know, every other day, every oh, other day, almost every other day. That's right. But to uh, but for our final question of this week, um, I'm going to ask you, and folks at home can also search their souls to come to their own dark answers. But what is your all-time favorite late career from '95 on Schwarzenegger film? <sighs> And, and we can even talk about the ones post gubernatorial. It doesn't matter. Uh, so it's my bad that I haven't seen Escape Plan because I've heard that that one's pretty mm -hmm. pretty on point. I um, like that one. You and I watched The Last Stand. We did, and that was an awesome Arnold movie. It was actually. It was not. I mean, it's stupid as shit, but like, definitely harkened back to the glory days of the '80s and early '90s when Schwarzenegger was the biggest movie star on the face of the planet. You know. That's uh, come on, Bert. Uh, I'm. You know what I'm gonna say? Well, I like. I like that he is able to parody himself uh, so stunningly in Expendables Two, mm -hmm. which is my favorite of the three Expendables movies. Mm -hmm. But again, it's just dumb, silly action fun. Hmm. Um, I used to. I. I have a soft spot in my heart for this movie. I've written a goofy song about it. Uh, I love the quotes between your fate and my Glock 9mm. I take my Glock. <laughs> there are some little witticism in there. You want to call them that? Uh, I well, I wouldn't call them witticisms. I would just call them accidental funny lines because a lot of times it just takes uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's amazing uh, Austrian accent and delivery to make something hilarious, unintentionally hilarious. Mm -hmm. um, but, but so yeah, I would say I would say I like that he he came back for. The Expendables movie, Last Stand's a legitimate fun movie. Sure. What about you? Uh, well, I'm not ashamed to say this. Mm. I like Jingle All the Way. I do. I like it a lot, in fact. Um, because we always like charted up Arnold Schwarzenegger to be like our superhero, our big-time superhero, Superman himself. 
uh, was said to have been modeled after the bodybuilders of like Schwarzenegger and Stallone during his uh, reboot back in the 80s. Um, now we finally get to see him in full-on superhero regalia before we Batman and Robin came out and ruined that forever. He got to be Turbo Man. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Turbo Man at the very end of that movie. That was my favorite part of the whole damn movie. I watched it. I mean, it also had Phil Hartman in it, who was actually really funny. Mm-hmm. Had Rita Wilson in it. Sinbad, who was not terrible. I, I Sinbad made me laugh in that movie. And, and, and of course, uh, we've got Jake Lloyd, pre-Phantom Menace Jake Lloyd. Oh. Still an innocent young little cherub. Um, before he turned into the, turned to the terrible side. adult yeah. that he is now. Yeah, before they chucked him full of midi-chlorians. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Jingle All the Way, I'm not, you know me. Yeah. I don't like the, the Grimbus movies. Not, not big on any of them. You're not, you're not much of a holiday spirit kind of nah, guy. especially. But I can watch Jingle All the Way today. Yeah. I could watch it right now. We could just stop what we're doing and put it in, and I'd be perfectly fine with it. Seasonably appropriate. Because I feel like it's an enjoyable movie that featured the, uh, the full range of Arnold Schwarzenegger at, at the, the, the very apex of uh, his career, just before it all went to shit. This is like, this either happened like right after Junior or right uh, right before. It was, it was right after Junior. Was, uh, right after Junior? Yeah. Well, we had just come around a corner, but I think that was his last gasp of true like charisma. Junior, yeah, Junior was uh, definitely the falling off point mm-hmm. where, from where he just became a bit of a parody of himself. He yeah. had the really bad... Uh, slate of movies. It's all Chris Columbus's fault. End of Days, uh, The Sixth Day, Eraser, Collateral Damage, just dud after dud after dud. Mm-hmm. But he did give us one absolute Christmas classic before Get he, out of a system. Before he decided to go be the governor. Yeah. Although, you, if you haven't seen Escape Plan, you should. Because it's on my list. I'll give you one little spoiler. One thing that I really liked about this movie, and you can read my review on Doom Rock at Home, guys. Um, He actually uses his native tongue for the first time in any movie ever in this movie. And it's awesome. He uses it to, like, amazing effect. It's at this really pinnacle point in the movie. I'm not going to spoil anything further for you. But he's just spewing out Austrian. Like, he he never dropped it. It's remarkable. Wow. Yeah. That's got to be worth it. To Mm. see what it's actually like to hear Arnold Schwarzenegger speak... The language it's that stirring. matches it's his uh, accent. Yeah, it's something. Oh, God, I love that accent. Well, that just about does it for us here at Anti-Monitor. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at DoomRocket underscore, at JaredJones underscore, and at BirdMoney. Go to DoomRocket.com every day for all your news and reviews and fun stuff. And uh, always remember, if you see Gabriel Byrne grabbing a lady's boob in a restaurant, you should probably run, because it's going to explode. Always running around trying to find certainty. He needs all the work to confirm that he ain't lonely. Mary counts the walls, knows he tires easily. Johnny thinks the world would be right if he could buy the truth from him. Mary says he changes his mind.